church family, you're finding with me the book of John, chapter 12. We'll begin to read in verse number 12. And I will speak to you this morning on this subject, passing the point of no return. Passing the point of no return. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can, and honor and reverence for the reading of God's Word. The Bible says in John chapter 12, verse 12, these words, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remember that these things were written about him and that he had done these things to him. Therefore, the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of his tomb and raised him from the dead bore witness. For this reason, the people also met him because they heard that he had done this sign. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, You see that you are accomplishing nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Verse number 35. Then Jesus said to them, A little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. These things Jesus spoke and departed and was hidden from them. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him, that the word of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because Isaiah said again, He has blinded their eyes, he has hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that I should heal them. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that God, your spirit, Today, Lord, would move in this place and convict the lost, God, I pray, of their sin, Christ's righteousness that they desperately need, and judgment that will come against their soul one day. Father, I pray as we come to a time of invitation, those who have never truly turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life, they'll do that today. God, I pray that you'll remind this church family again today what, what Satan's schemes are, what he's trying to do to the world that is around us who's never received the gospel, and how urgently, God, we need to move with faithfulness and in faithfulness to the Great Commission to be light and to be salt, to carry the gospel to those and to verbally challenge them and invite them to turn and trust Jesus before they pass a point spiritually in their life of no return. God, I pray as we come again to invitation, that which you are calling us to do today, it'll be accomplished as we respond with yes to whatever it is you call us to today. Bless this time. Lead us, God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. Jesus has just made his uh, triumphal entry. Remember, that's what we celebrate as Palm Sunday. It seemed like everything was great and wonderful. Everybody was excited. There was enthusiasm. People were waving palm branches. Uh, all of Jerusalem was astir, but everything wasn't as it seemed. Remember that the Jews really didn't want a spiritual king. They just wanted an earthly king. 
so much so that, you know, even the Pharisees thought that everything was lost. John chapter 12, verse 19, they said, look, the, the world's gone after him. Look at the popularity that this man has. Uh, but God knew their hearts. He saw deep inside of them. He knew that the words didn't really match up with what their heart believed about Jesus Christ. And friend, I want you to hear me this morning. One of the sad things that had happened in the nation of Israel as a whole at that time was this. Don't miss this. Spiritually, they had passed a point of no return. They had had the opportunity to respond to Christ and to receive Christ so many times that they had continued to reject that and to put it off invitation after invitation, and they just continued to put off receiving Jesus as their spiritual king. And now many of them, unknown to themselves at the time, they'd spiritually placed a point of, of no return. A story I read recently said on July 9th, 1960, a middle-aged resident of Buffalo, New York, uh, took a 17-year-old girl and a 17-year-old brother of hers. They were, they, were co they were the children of a co-worker that he had. And he took them out what he thought was going to be just a pleasant scenic boat ride on the Niagara River. The, the children's mother, she wasn't entirely sold on the process, but still she let them go. But their one request was that they would wear life preservers while they were out there. The gentleman, he put his 12-foot aluminum boat in, powered by a 7.5-horsepower Evinrude, as he had done many times into the Niagara River. He put it five miles upriver from the falls at a place called Grand Island Dock, in Beaver Island State Park. Uh, they eased out, began to enjoy the day, but for some reason unknown to anybody, he decided to turn his motor off. Maybe he wanted to enjoy the scenery, just the peace and quiet, perhaps to chat with the children while they uh, just uh, eased along, drifting, drifting in the river. They talked for about an hour, and then they eventually floated, it was reported, under the North Grand Island Bridge. Listen, a marker that serves to locals who frequently boat there above the falls as the unofficial point of no return. Well, sometime later, the gentleman decided it was time to start his motor. He needed to get back away from the falls, and he, he tried to start his motor, and he did finally, but he soon discovered that the 7.5-horsepower motor, it was no match for the, my, the mighty Niagara River. He went to full throttle, he can, and the boat continued to creep Backward, the situation went from bad to worse when overtaxed by the heavy currents, the propeller ripped off the motor. The gentleman got out of two oars and began to try to row as hard as he could to fight toward land, but it was too late. The boat landed on rocks. They were thrown from the boat. All three were now in the turbulent, frigid waters. The teenage 17-year-old girl, she clung tenaciously to the boat when finally the current wrestled her around away from the, the boat, and she ended up not far from the edge of the falls on a rock near a place called Goat Island, right above the falls. Someone who was there standing and watching began to shout to her and to encourage her to, to try to hold on. He leaned over the edge and could barely get to her. And finally, just like in a movie, at the last opportunity, she reached up and grabbed his thumb, and he pulled her just 15 feet away before she would have gone over the falls. By now, her little brother had long since disappeared over the precipice. Experts concluded that because the lad weighed only 46 pounds, the momentum of the water, which travels through the rapids at up to 70 miles per hour, must have flung him far beyond the falls and the jagged rocks below so that he landed in deep water. When he shot to the surface, 
courtesy of his life preserver, he was spotted by a crew member of the Maid of the Mist, a boat that routinely ferries tourists back and forth. He was rescued and brought to safely with only a minor concussion. The entire episode is still known among local residents as the Niagara Miracle, but there would be no miracle for the owner of the boat. His body was found three days later when it surfaced a quarter mile downriver. The gentleman perished because he drifted too long, blithely assuming that he could fire up his motor and reverse course anytime he pleased and successfully fight the current back past the point of no return. But it was too late. My friend, I'm telling you, it can happen spiritually. You hear me this morning. The Spirit of God that calls you and draws you to salvation. God is patient, but he is not permissive. And you can so put God off, my friend, till the Bible teaches you will spiritually pass a place of no return when it will be too late for you to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. Notice this morning three truths about passing the point of no return. First off, I want you to notice a foolish rejection. Several things God had, uh, had shown the nation of Israel that they had rejected about him. First off, they had rejected his person. Look what the Bible says in verse number 37. Although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe on him. He had done all these miracles in front of them for three and a half years. He had proved himself from the very first miracle at the wedding at Cana until now. Over and over, he had proved that he was God's son, but they wouldn't receive him, though he had done so many miracles. Remember, that was the point of all of these. John chapter 20, verse 31, John says that, that all these miracles were done that they might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have eternal life in his name. Verse 38 says that the power of God had been revealed, that the word of Isaiah, prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord being the power of God, his strength. All of these signs and all of these miracles God had done, it was to, it was to convince them that Jesus was God in human flesh. Why? Because 1 Corinthians 1 says that Jews require a sign. They had to see something, and God was showing them these things. But John begins his book by telling us in John chapter 1, verse 11, it's, it's what we would call a spoiler. He tells us how it's going to end for the majority of the nation of Israel. John chapter 1, verse 11, He came into His own, and His own received Him not. They wouldn't, they wouldn't receive Him even though he was the fulfillment. When he came that day on that Palm Sunday as we celebrate, and they heralded him, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was a fulfillment of Psalm 118, verse 22, which says the stone which the builders has rejected has become the head stone of the corner. Listen, Peter wasn't the corner of which God would build his church. Jesus is the cornerstone on which the church is built. And God had fulfilled that. Christ had come. But he was rejected. Jesus himself was rejected. They had rejected God's person. Not only that, but they rejected God's person. You know, if you'd have stood there that day, and we look back at verse number 13, as everybody comes out and they begin to herald him as he rides down the street on the donkey, everyone would have thought it seemed that they were receiving him. But their reception was conditional. 
See, they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They didn't want a spiritual king. They wanted an earthly king. And remember, Jesus told them over and over again, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. It will be one day, but before Jesus ever establishes an earthly kingdom, he had to first establish a spiritual kingdom. But they didn't want that. They simply wanted an earthly king that would move Rome aside so they could live their lives the way that they wanted to. But John 18, 36, he told them, my kingdom is not of this world. His purpose, Luke 19, 10, was to seek and to save that which is lost. That's spiritually everybody. That was his purpose. And they, they rejected that. They rejected God's person. They rejected his purpose in sending Christ to redeem them from their sins. And in so doing, they rejected his plan. And that was to, to save them, that Christ would die on the cross as a payment for their sins. Why? Because the, the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall surely die. That's why God made a promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Just, just nine verses after where our Sunday school lesson stopped, stopped this morning. God made a promise that what Adam and Eve had brought upon the earth, He would make a way that that, that guilt, that spiritual death that would be passed on to all people, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, there would be a way to have life. Genesis 3, 15, he says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. He was speaking about Christ's victory over what Satan had done at the cross. And I want to remind you, friend, though a lot of movies and you know, sometimes teaching try to act like that the cross was God having to punt. You know, that, that God had sent Christ and, you know, and, and had desired that in this three-and-a-half-year ministry, He would accomplish something. You know, those were, the, those were the first three downs. And then that somehow at Calvary, it was fourth down. And it was, you know, but it wasn't inches. It was multiple yards to go. And so God says, well, this isn't what we wanted, so we'll just have to punt to Satan. Friend, listen, the cross was not a punt. The cross was a plan. It was God's plan from the beginning. Revelation 13, 8 says, it was a plan set before the foundation of the world. Before God ever spoke in Genesis 1, 1, He knew that the cross was a reality. God's not surprised by anything. God never has a backup plan. He has His perfect plan that will be fulfilled in His power and in His way. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, said that all families of the earth would be blessed by what God would accomplish. What was he calling Abraham to do? Again, to fulfill uh, what he was going to later share with Moses, to be a kingdom of priests, to, to raise godly generations, so that Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, Christ would come. Why? Because that was God's plan always from the beginning. Matthew 20, verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. For many, whoever would receive. That was God's plan. That's why he sent Jesus Christ. And don't miss this. As Christ rode down the road that day on that donkey, they had the opportunity to receive him. But they rejected that. They rejected his person. They rejected his purpose. And now they had rejected his plan. Well, how, did, how did the nation of Israel do that? Listen, how can someone here this morning do that same thing? You're here this morning, you say, well, man, that was... 2,000 years ago. My friend, you can do that. 
You, you can reject the person of Jesus Christ, who the Bible says he really is. Oh, you can adopt the, the, the East Tennessee, Western North Carolina cultural version of Jesus Christ, but you can reject the Christ who reveals himself through his holy word. You can reject his purpose, why he came, and that is to save your soul from hell. And not only to save you from hell, but after you get saved, friend, to get hell out of you. That you might be a holy person surrendered to his lordship. And in doing, friend, you can reject his plan for your life. That is Luke 9, 23. To die daily and follow Jesus Christ and surrender to his word. You can do... Well, how do people reject that? First off, they do it through their pride. They do it through their pride. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says that pride goeth before destruction. See, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned. That means me, and that means you. We've all sinned. But the nation of Israel had to admit that they have sinned. The Pharisees, they weren't going to do that. I mean, they were holy people. They didn't have any sin. They did, 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 did. Friend, listen, you, you're not spiritually born again by doing. You're spiritually born again by receiving. You turn from sin and receive Christ as Lord, and in so doing, friend, you receive His life. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection, I'm the life. He that believes in me, though he is dead, he'll live again. It's only in Christ. But you'll never be safe, friend, until you admit your sin. You admit your need. And we all need God's forgiveness. Every person. And that's, that's the challenge here in the South is everybody's born saved. Everybody's born saved. That's the popular thought. You know, they grow up in church. They've been drugged to church. They've got deacon, deacons in their family that have been in the church. They've always been around the church. And somehow, we're just born Baptist and born saved. And friend, that is not the case. We are born spiritually dead. Dead. And you have to admit that. And, admit, and you have to admit that need that without Christ we're helpless and we're, and we're hopeless. And that, and that pride leads us to a place that we really start caring what people think. You may be here this morning, you recognize, friend, you've never really been saved. You know your need. That you need to turn from sin and you need to trust Christ. But a problem that Israel had 2,000 years ago, you've got this morning maybe. And that is you care what somebody in here thinks. What's going to happen if I admit I've really never been saved and I need to receive Jesus Christ? Well, look on the next page in, in our verses after our text this morning. Verse number 42 says, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many people did believe in him. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, because they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. They were prideful. They honestly cared what somebody was going to say. Friend, who cares what anybody's going to say? Admit your need this morning if you're lost and receive Jesus Christ. Another way you can reject God and all of His plan and purposes is not only through your pride, but through pleasures. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 4, Paul says, In the last days, the world will be marked. Those who turn away from God, who have what verse 5 calls a form of godliness. A form of godliness. What does that mean? They know how to talk church. They know how to play church. They know how when they 
ease into the parking lot, it's time to put the metamorphosis on. You know the game we played when we were little, you know, I'm smiling right now? Well, they know how to do that. As soon as they pull in the church parking lot, God get my church face on. Know how to act. A form of godliness, but deny the power of that off. What is that? It's the controlling power of the Holy Spirit that exists when one receives Christ as Lord. But they won't receive that. Why? Because verse 4 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, they are lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. They've got sin that they won't let go of. There's something in their life they know they're truly going to have to get rid of and let go of if they wholly follow after Jesus Christ. And when they refuse to put God above all others and things in their life, they reject God. They reject salvation. You know, it's like a couple that stands at the altar. You know, and the, and the pastor begins to ask the husband, you know, sir, you know, w- will you take this woman, you know, and refusing all others, will you be faithful unto her only? Well, somewhat, pastor, I will, somewhat. Well, no wife's going to go through with that. And friend, I want to tell you this, God's not going to do that. That's what a lot of people try to do. I'll be somewhat faithful to Jesus Christ. I don't want to go to hell. But I'll be, I'll be somewhat faithful. But I've got some things that I want to accomplish in my life, and I want in my life, that I'm not going to let go of. And so you reject God's plan. You reject His purpose. And you reject His person. Afraid of what they'll give up. I want to remind you, friends, the book of James chapter 1, verses 14 through 16 says... Sin is fun for a season. I'd be a fool to stand up here this morning and tell you that sin doesn't feel good. It feels good to the flesh. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's the old man, the old woman that you're always going to have with you. Sin feels good, but listen, only for a season. Because then it gives birth, and then it grows up, and then it ends in one place, death. That's what sin always ends in. And so people will reject Christ and the plan of salvation because of pleasures. Not only that, but they'll reject because of procrastination. I'm not telling God no, I'm just not telling Him yes today. I'm just going to kick the can. You know, there's no better illustration of that than Acts chapter 24, verse 25. Paul is being held at the seaside palace in a place called Caesarea of a man by the name of Felix. And Paul wasn't one of these guys. Paul didn't know what church hurt was. Every place that Paul ended up, he saw as God's will for him to live on mission. And so here this fellow Felix was, who was in charge of Paul, and Paul just seized the opportunity, and he started preaching the gospel to him. And the Bible says he began to to reason with him of of righteousness, self-control, judgment to come. He started telling him, about what he needed to do to receive God's forgiveness in Christ's life, in his life. And I want you to notice what the Bible says in verse number 25. Felix didn't say, Paul, I don't believe in you. He simply said this, Go thy way, and when I have a more convenient time, I'll call for you. Paul, I'm not telling you no. I'm just not saying yes today. Listen to me, my friend. Not saying yes to God is saying no. And every time that you tell God no, you make it easier to say no the next time. And you begin to harden your heart 
toward God. And what you don't realize is this, friend, you're drifting ever closer spiritually to a place of no return. That's what happened to the nation of Israel. The Bible says right here in the book of John, many of them came to a place, they placed a cross, they crossed a place of no return. Now they can't believe on Him because the Spirit is no longer calling them. You say, well, I've got, I've got time. I mean, Felix was convicted. And you may be here this morning and say, I know I need to be saved, and I'm going to get saved. Friend, listen, conviction is not conversion. Just because you're convicted and feel bad over your sin doesn't mean that you've been born again. You must choose to repent. You must choose to receive Christ. But this is the devil's biggest lie. Listen to me. I'll do it later. I'll do it later. You don't know if there's going to be a later. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Boast not thyself tomorrow, for you know not what the day will bring. God forbid, but you may die in a car wreck on the way home. You may fall dead at your house tonight. You may have an accident before tomorrow even comes. You don't know. Friend, what you do with Jesus determines where you spend eternity. You better take it seriously and not procrastinate. You run a great risk when you do that by rejecting God's person, God's purpose, and God's plan through your pride, hold on pleasures, and through procrastination. So there was a foolish rejection. But notice what happened. They've entered now into a fixed reality. A fixed reality. The Bible says again in verse number 38 that they had heard the words of Christ. They had seen His miracles. That is, they'd seen the power of God revealed. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word. They've, they've heard. But verse 39 says now they can't believe. Doesn't matter how many times the gospel shared with them, many in the nation of Israel have crossed a deadline. And the book of John says here, now there's no opportunity for them to believe. They crossed a deadline. How can that be? Because just as sure, listen to me this morning, friend, you better hear this. Just as sure as the Bible says, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved, there is a countering truth that God's Spirit must draw you before you will call. No one initiates a, resp a response to God and says, you know what, I think I want to be saved today. I'm going to be saved. It doesn't happen that way. God's Spirit calls us and draws us, and then we respond to His invitation. But when His Spirit no longer calls, there's nothing for you to respond to. You say, well, He'll always call. Genesis chapter 6 says, my Spirit will not always strive with man. You better hear me this morning. Just because God is calling you today, convicting you of your lostness, calling you to be saved, doesn't mean He'll do it tomorrow. He wanted the nation of Israel to be saved. But they crossed the deadline and the Spirit of God never called them anymore. And hell's full of countless people who had the opportunity to be saved, but they crossed God's deadline. He said, well, I, I just believe if you call, you'll be saved. The Bible says that, but friend, the Bible also says in John chapter 6, verse 44, John chapter 6, verse 44. Y'all write that down. John chapter 6 and verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Spirit who sent me draws him. There has to be an invitation. It's, it's the Holy Spirit, John 16, who convicts of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. Listen to me this morning. I can't make you feel bad about your sin. 
I can't make you do anything. I can't make you see that you need Christ's righteousness in your life because you're unrighteous. I can't make you see, Luke 16, that hell's a place that nobody wants to go because when people get there who go there, they want out. And they want everybody that they know that's still here not to come there. I can't make you see that. But the Holy Spirit of God can. He convicts. He draws. He invites. The reverse truth is this, friend. When He no longer convicts, when He no longer draws, and when He no longer calls, you don't have an invitation to respond to. It's there. The truths are there. And the Bible says now, verse number 40, He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts. It was His will that they be saved. It was His will that they turn and trust Him. And they had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after countless opportunity for three and a half years to receive Jesus. But they pushed Him away. And because of that, they hardened their heart and God hardened their heart. He has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. There's no seeing now their sin. There's no seeing the cross. There's no understanding sin's penalty. Christ's pardon that He, that he offers. Now they're just like people who will be left after the rapture on this earth, prior to the great tribulation, who heard the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 11 says, And for this reason God will send them strong delusion. They're deluded. Now they just live life by the flesh. Whatever I want, they just do. They may still be religious. It may be part of their culture. That's what they do on Sunday. They come to church. Just like they go to work on Monday. Maybe something that they do. But they've not been born again. Nor can they because they've passed God's deadline. No seeing. No understanding. Listen. No conversion. No conversion. They've passed God's deadline. And my friend, when that happens, you need to understand this. There's a fateful ruin. A fateful ruin. Look what the Bible says again, verse number 40. He's blinded their eyes. He's hardened their hearts. Lest they should see with their eyes. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. The greatest need, friend, again, that every man and woman has on this earth is not physical. If you listen to the media... And our politicians, they're talking about all the physical things that people need that will make life better. Well, it may make day-to-day -day life better, friend, but it's not fixing their greatest need. Their greatest need is spiritual. It's to have life. Why? Because all people are born spiritually dead. They're dead in trespasses and sin. But now that great need can't be met. Now there's no way to turn. What's turn? It's repentance. What does somebody have to do to die and go to hell? Absolutely nothing. Be born, live your life, and hell's where you'll die and go to one day. It's where you'll end up. Because all have sinned. And that's the penalty for sin. But in order to escape that, it begins with repentance. Jesus himself said, Luke chapter 13, verse number 3, Luke 13, verse 3, except you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
Repentance is simply agreeing with God and turning to Him. Agreeing with God and turning to Him. Listen, if I was trying to go north to Virginia, and all of a sudden I begin to see signs that say, Welcome to Georgia, and then Welcome to Florida, I've got to do something to make things right. What is that? I've got to turn around. And listen to me, when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you that you're lost, you need Christ, you need His righteousness, there's a penalty for your sin, you're headed towards hell, you've got to agree with that, and then, friend, you've got to turn. That's not works. It's a heart-willed decision that says, I don't want this life I've had. I don't want to go this direction anymore. I may realize I need to turn around, friend, and go and, and head start heading north to Virginia, but until I take an exit or shoot a U-turn, there's no change. You can sit and agree, well, I'm a preacher, I know. I know. Well, you, guess what? You're going to, I know yourself right into hell. You've got to take personal responsibility and say, I don't want to go this direction anymore. God says I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. I'm turning to Jesus Christ. That's turn. And then receive his healing. That's what Christ did on the cross for us. When Jesus died on the cross, friend, it wasn't that, you know, that all of the Pharisees had their way. Friend, listen, that was God letting Jesus take the whipping for you. He died on the cross that I should die on, and you should die on. And when we turn to him in saving faith, believing Romans 10, 9, and 10, that he died, that he rose again, listen, we receive his resurrected life, we receive his righteousness, and praise God when he looks at us now, he doesn't see all the sin that we turn from, he sees the righteousness, praise God, of his son Jesus Christ imputed to us. But when you cross God's deadline, when you tell God no so many times that he says that's enough, you'll no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore saying you're a sinner. You'll no longer hear the voice of the Holy Spirit anymore saying, look to Calvary. You'll not hear the voice of the Holy Spirit saying anymore, you need to turn and receive Christ to be Lord of your life. Why? Because you've crossed God's deadline. Now He's blinded your eyes. Now He's hardened your heart, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts, and turn so that God can heal them can happen. And when that happens, friend, you've, you've got a faithful ruin. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever that's you, if you'd repent and believe on Him, you would not perish. And perish eternally, friend, in a literal hell. It's not a, it's not a figment of God's imagination. It's not an illustration of just what life will be like without God. It is a literal place where the fire is not quenched and the worm dieth not. It's a place, friend, of darkness, of death, of damnation. Darkness because there'll be no light. And Jesus called the people. He tried to tell them. Look in John chapter 12, verse number 35. Jesus said, a little while longer, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, 
believe in the light that you may become sons of light. What was he telling them? There's a deadline. You need to walk toward me and receive me while you have time. Now I want you to understand, friend, all the blessings that you've been able to experience by default of the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world through Christ's church won't be there in hell. You see, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit in this world that holds back all the evil. 2 Thessalonians teaches us that. It's the Holy Spirit of God that keeps Antichrist from stepping onto the scene. It's the Holy Spirit of God that holds the devil back from doing what he really wants to do. It's the Holy Spirit of God that keeps evil people from doing even more evil things. But one of these days, the Holy Spirit's going up. How? In the rapture when Christ comes for His church. And He's going to be gone. And darkness will reign upon this earth. But friend, it's just a picture of what's going to happen eternally for the person that doesn't trust Christ. You will burn in the fires of hell in total darkness, separated from the light of Christ that has been a blessing to you all these years. My neighbor has a light pole in his yard. The light's in his yard. But we benefit from the light that shines into our yard. Friend, if you've never been saved, you benefit from the light of the Holy Spirit that's in people all around you. But you need that light in your life. You need that light. Hell's a place of darkness. It's a place of death. It's a death that's experienced, but listen, it's never fully reached. You will die for all eternity, but you'll never really die. It's a place of damnation. Friend, it's torment. Not just physically, but also mentally. Luke 16 teaches us, you'll remember every opportunity you had to be saved. You'll remember, you'll remember, listen, if you push this opportunity away, and you leave this place and cross God's deadline, you'll remember this invitation. One of the torments of hell is the remembrance of every failure on earth and every opportunity to receive Christ. And can I just say in, in, in a reverse truth, one of the benefits of heaven, friend, is a remembrance no more of the failures on earth. We don't have to remember all the flubs and flops. Brand new life in a place called heaven forever. But if you've never been saved, you won't have that. You won't have that. Place of darkness, death, and damnation. You say, you're trying to scare us this morning. Nope. I'm just telling you the truth of God's Word. Reverend Joe Henry Hankins, pastor to church, First Baptist Church of Little Rock, many years ago. And he told a story, friend, I'm telling you, if you've never been saved, it all grip you this morning. I'm telling you, it all grip you. He told a story about a service one day where God was in their midst in a powerful way. And he began to give the invitation after he had preached the word and shared the gospel. And he looked into the balcony and he just happened to see a young man up there. You know, people think, you know, they can sit in the back of the church and I can't see them. Can you see me? I can see you. And so he saw this young man in the balcony and they took hymnals and opened them and sang. It used to be the, you know, the thing to do. But I believe you can escape into the song and not hear what God's doing. That's why we say heads bowed, eyes closed. But he was singing along. And Joe Henry Hankins looked up. This was his testimony. He said he saw that young man, just the brokenness over him. He could tell God was dealing with him. 
He said he, it, it literally looked like he was going to come down at any moment. And then all of a sudden, he closed the hymnal. They were singing Just As I Am. And he began to walk out of the pew. He took two steps up toward the back entry. And he turned around and he came back down to his pew and he opened the hymnal back up. And he picked up his place and he started, he started singing again. And, and he just kept singing. And then he just stopped singing. Pastor said he just continued to look at him. And then all of a sudden, the young man looked down and he looked at the pastor and he, and he closed his book and he took a step out and he began to walk a couple steps up, not as far as he did last time. And then he turned and he came back one more time. And this time he just, he just stood there with, with the hymnal in his hand. And his eyes were closed and his, his head was down and he looked and the pastor was praying, God, God help him. God overwhelm him. God, I pray he'll come to you today and, and be saved. And all of a sudden, the young man, he laid the book down, he turned, he started walking up the aisle, he went through the back entrance of the upstairs, and the pastor thought, man, he's going to come. And he didn't know, but all of a sudden he saw the young man, and he thought he's going to turn. But he turned and went out the back doors. He didn't come to Christ. It was a few weeks later, somebody in the church told him about a prayer need. There was a young man in the community being diagnosed with a disease that was terminal. The pastor began to ask about him. He said, he was here a few weeks ago. He was, he was up in the balcony. The pastor found out it was that same boy. So he got his name, he found out what hospital he was at. True story. And he went to see the young man. He says, young man, I, do you remember me? He says, I do, pastor. He says, I remember you. He said, they tell me that you're very sick. He said, Pastor, don't beat around the bush. I'm dying. He said, I'm dying. He said, Son, you are. He said, when I watched you that day, I thought at any moment you were going to come to Jesus Christ. He said, Pastor, when you gave the invitation and we began to sing that song, he said, I realized I'd never been saved. He said, I knew I needed Jesus. He said, and I wanted Jesus. He said, I knew I needed him so much in his forgiveness, I was ready to jump across the top rail to the floor and run that I might be saved. But I knew I couldn't be saved and not have the sin that I had in my life. He confessed his sin was the sin of sexual immorality. He said, I knew I couldn't be saved and hold on to my sin." He said, and so I thought about it. And I said, well, I'll give it all up. He said, and I, I began, I wanted to turn to Jesus, but then I got up the stairs and I thought, no, I, I've got to have that. And then I came back and I began to sing. And I thought, no, I want to be saved. I want to be forgiven. And then I, I closed my book and I stepped out. And I thought, no, I, I want that sin in my life. And then I came back and I stood there and I just, I just held my book. And I knew I needed to be saved. I knew I needed to turn Christ. I knew Jesus would forgive me. I knew He would receive me. But then I thought about my sin and I wasn't ready to give it up and so I laid the book down and I left and the pastor said well son since you're dying you can't have that sin anyway so why don't you just receive Jesus Christ right now and pastor Joe Henry Hankins said the boy spoke words to him that sent chills over his whole body he said pastor I can't be saved he said, because when I closed that book and laid it down, I can't explain it to you, he says, but something died inside of me. He said, something died inside of me. What happened, friend? He crossed God's deadline. And the Spirit that had once called him to repent and trust Christ 
Now it's too late. You say, you're just, you're over-emotionalizing this. No, friend, I'm telling you, what you do with Christ determines where you spend eternity. It's not about you being religious or joining the church. It's about you repenting and receiving Christ to be Lord of your life. And if you refuse to do it, there's a deadline that you're going to cross. That's what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 1. He that is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed. And that without remedy. There's a deadline. And if you cross it, my friend, it'll be too late. But listen, that's why the book of Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. If you recognize you're a sinner today, you sense the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Friend, he loves you. He's calling you. He's inviting you to experience his life and life more abundantly. Don't refuse him. Call upon him. Find him today while he may be found. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. You listen to me this morning. This could be the last invitation that you ever have to receive Jesus Christ. In the quietness of your heart now, would you not choose to turn and receive Him? He died for you. He loves you. He wants to impart His spiritual life to you and life more abundantly while you're still living here upon this earth. But you must choose to turn and receive Him. I want to ask you a question before we pray. What sin is in your life that is worth you spending an eternity in a devil's hell for? What sin is there that you, you possess that's worth going to hell? Friend, there's none. Receive Christ today as you turn from all your sin. Trust Him to be Lord of your life. Call upon Him. He will save you. Call just like this silently where you sit. Pray straight to His heart. God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I believe He rose again. I'm turning from all my sin. And I'm receiving Jesus to be Lord of me. There's no sin I hold on to. I lay my life at Christ's feet. Be Lord of me. Make me into the man or woman now that you want me to be. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? Did you respond to the Holy Spirit's invitation today to receive life in Christ? I'm going to stand here at the front. Nobody's going to be watching. Would you not step out into one of these aisles and come forward so I can just encourage you in what God wants to do next? To our church family, could I say, what the devil wants you to believe is that there's, there's, you've got time to go share the gospel with that neighbor, family member, co-worker, person down the street that doesn't know Christ. You've got time. Well, you may not have time because you may not be here tomorrow. But here's, here's also another truth. Listen to me. They may not have time. My friend, it's only good news if it gets there in time. It's only good news if it gets there in time. I pray this truth, this spiritual reality of a deadline that can be crossed by lost people will move us to action. Move us to action. Put a little fire underneath us to, to remind us of what the Awana ministry is really all about. What are Sunday morning and Sunday evening children's Bible study is really all about? Why we extend invitations? What it's, it's not just the, 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 the end of the service. We're inviting people to escape hell and receive life in Christ because there's a deadline. There's a deadline. God, I pray you'll challenge your church 
strip apathy and indifference from us. And I pray we'll be reminded, God, there's a deadline in people's lives. And I pray we'll get the good news to them before it's everlasting too late. God, you know every individual need and every heart in life. Speak your will to us. And I pray that we'll respond with yes. It's in Christ's name I pray. Now I want you to reverence.